Blog Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women in the ring. the two-minute round, your hooks and jabs look at the female boxing world is episode number 62. My name is Felipe Leon, and like always, my partner, David Avila. David, how are you doing tonight? Very good, Felipe. How are you? Good. Thank you very much. The weather has gotten a lot better out here in Southern California, so that makes me happy. It's starting to look like spring and pretty soon summer. We are here on the two-minute round. You're a Hooks and Jabs look at the female fight world. We're going to be discussing what has gone down in the boxing world in the last two or three weeks. Usually we try to have the show every other week, but some Thursdays uh, we have to skip it because Mr. David Avila is out there in the greater Los Angeles area covering fights. And I think last week you covered that uh, Mercito Hesta uh, Juan Rodriguez fight that ended up being a little bit of a shocker, huh? Yeah, there were a lot of upsets that night, a whole bunch of them. Yeah. So that's why we are here this Thursday, and then our next show is scheduled for April 11th, which is two weeks from today. If you want to call in and talk female boxing, you can do so at 323-580-5735, 323-580-5735. And like it is tradition, we do have a guest here on our show in about 15 minutes. A uh, hot up-and-coming prospect, either super featherweight or lightweight, Miss Alicia Baumgartner of Ohio, Fremont, Ohio, more specifically, is going to be calling in and sharing her story here with us on the two-minute round. So we'll be waiting for that. But let's just dive right in there, David, because we have a lot of fight results to go through since we haven't uh, been together uh, for three weeks. So starting... On Friday, March 8th, from Super Studio in Milan, Italy, there's a little bit of an ex- of an upset when Mexican Erika Cruz Hernandez scored a unanimous decision over the local Vicia Trovato to capture the vacant WBC Silver 126-pound title. Scores there were 98, 92 times, and 97, 91. It just goes to show that maybe because they have not such impressive record, when you get a Mexican in there, they tend to be very tough customers, and Erica Cruz tr- turned out to be just that for the Italian uh, winning the vacant WBC silver title in the hometown of the Italian. So that was pretty impressive there. And same night in Yorkshire, England, Terry Harper scored a 10th round TKO over Nina Bradley to capture the vacant WBC international lightweight title. Time there was 13 seconds into the 10th and final round. And in the same night on Friday, March 8th, in Amazura Concert Hall in Queens, New York, Eileen Olskowski, the veteran who I think is hitting close to 50 years old, David, scored a unanimous decision yep. with Julian Hackbold in a six-rounder at 112 pounds. Scores there were 60-53 three times. So she won every round, David. I mean, Julian Hackbold, not a, na- a, no- a known name. <coughs> but <clears throat> two things that come to mind is, one, uh, you know, she did go, She did win every round and close to being 15-year-old. I mean, that's not an, uh, an easy feat for anybody, let alone a, a 50-year-old. And second, 
She's fighting in New York City, David, and New York State, right along with California and Nevada, are three of the strictest states in the United States to let a fighter over the age of 35, 36 years old to get in the ring. They do yes. uh, more extensive testing in those states, David. Yeah, it's a very, very uh, they scrutinize everybody, and they can, they they shut down Abner Morris a couple of years back, and he had a world title fight. And I think Arlene Oswetsky was supposed to fight in Nevada some years ago, and she wasn't green-lighted there, but she was green-lit in New York City. So, I mean, they, they did their testing. It looks like she's doing okay. Let's see how far she takes it. Um, she's fighting a six-rounder. Let's see, because she's been out of, the, out of the ring for a little bit. So let's see how long she takes it, but she is uh, 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 somewhat of a known name in the flyweight division. Now we move on to Saturday, March 9th, and in Belgium, uh, another New York fighter, Melissa Saint-Ville, from originally from Haiti, living out of Brooklyn, New York, was stopped in the seventh round. Actually, not stopped, but she ended up not coming out for the eighth round against WBC 135-pound champion Delphine Persoon. So now it's expected that, <clears throat> excuse me, with Persoon getting this win, it might set the table for a Persoon Katie Taylor fight sometime in 2019. But before that, have you had a chance, David, to speak to St. Ville and what she and her thoughts on that fight? Uh, no, I haven't uh, actually spoken to her uh, word to word. We shared a few messages. Uh, I did get to catch a little bit of the fight the last uh, three rounds. And uh, Delphine Pursuit is a real deal. What? Well, we'll get to we'll get to a little bit more talking Delphine Pursuit and Katie Taylor a little bit later in in the fight results. But on the same night, on Saturday, March 9th, in Mexico City, Lourdes Juarez, the younger sister of Mariana Juarez, scored a seventh-round TKO over the previously undefeated, hard-hitting Leirene Flores in a scheduled 10-rounder. Um, it was it was a six-round, actually, TKO. Pretty pretty entertaining fight, David. I got, I got to watch it. Yes. And Juarez looks uh, ready. She kind of was able to weather the storm a little bit in the first and second rounds when Flores came out, you know, guns are blazing, throwing everything because she mm-hmm. knew that her only chance was to knock her out. And then once uh, Juarez was able to weather that storm, she was able to to box her and then pretty much uh, get the win, which I think she's ready for a world title shot. Yeah, I, I, I saw that fight also. I was very impressed with her. I mean, she's she knows what she's doing now. You, you could tell she... She knows exactly what to do. She has an answer for every uh, problem, and um, she uh, hurt her to the body, and then then uh, connected really well to the head, and she really uh, put a hurt on her. Yeah, I think that's one thing that impressed me from Juarez is that she's very precise with her with her headshots. She she throws her punches very straight, um, and and very accurately to the face on the head of her opponent. So that that's what impressed me, and I, I liked it. So hopefully we had her on the show here a couple uh, shows back, and she mentioned that, you know, maybe not her next fight, but sometime in 2019 she expects to face the current WBC 112-pound champion, who is Yvette La Roca Zamora. But let's not forget that knocking on the door for another – for a shot at her old crown is Jessica Laquica Chavez, who 
is a mother now. She had a baby last year, and now she's back in the gym, and it looks like she's getting ready for an April return. It hasn't been made official, but I've seen things here and there. So um, it looks like she's going to be coming back sometime in April, obviously in a, in an easy fight, not an easy fight, but something not at a world class for her to get her bearings back after becoming a mother. And let's see who gets a shot first at Ibel La Roca Zamora. I mean, there's some history between La Roca Zamora and Jessica Kika Chavez. So I don't know if, if Promociones del Pueblo, who promotes all three women, are going to feel more uh they feel that that maybe Kika Chavez deserves the the chance first because she is the next world champion and she's basically a champion in recess or if they're going to give it to Lourdes Juarez shot first and see what happens so it's going to be quite interesting how promotions of Pueblo handle that situation in 2019 yeah that that is one of those touchy things um uh Chavez is a, a former champion and a very good one but Wattis is really coming on, and she's very popular. Uh, sometimes yeah. money talks, but who knows? And the whole reason that Roca Zamora got a chance to win the title is because Chavez had to leave it because she was pregnant. So uh, let's see what happens there. It's, it's very, very unique situation to female boxing where you you end up stop being a champion because you end up getting pregnant. I mean, there's no way around it, you know? Obviously, something yeah. that doesn't happen in male boxing. So that is very interesting there. Now, the same night on Saturday, March 9th, from the Centro de Convenciones in Tamazula, Jalisco, Sanford, gave us on the Azteca channel, Jessica Neri Plata defending her uh, w, interim WBA 180-pound title with the unanimous decision over former champion Alondra Garcia. No scores were provided for that. And in Madrid, Spain, Joanna Pastrana scored a unanimous decision over former champion Ana, Ana Razola to defend her IBF 105-pound title with scores of 192 times and 99-91. On Wednesday, March 13th, from the Kurokin Hall in Tokyo, Japan, Eddie Matsuda scored a unanimous decision over Nani Suzuki and Nate Rounder to win the Japanese um, Adam Weight title scores there were 79-74 and 78-74 two times. And that's the headliner of an all-female card, fight card, which ended up having eight or nine bouts. I think that our, our correspondent from Japan wrote a report on it, and you can find it on pricefighters.com, right, David? Uh, yes, uh, she, she did a really extensive uh, report on the, that uh, all-female bout. Uh, there was eight of them, uh, mostly uh, in the... Um, Minimum and light flyweight uh, category, but uh, it's really good. Uh, some really good fights, and it's taking off in Tokyo right now. How heavy? How, if you recall, David, how what's the heaviest Japanese fighter, female Japanese fighter that you that you can remember? 112 pounds, maybe. I mean, uh, no, uh, no, Naoko was she won the bantamweight title. So she has gone up to 118. Yeah, she's gone up to 118. And I think there's somebody else right now fighting at featherweight. But they're mm. generally very light, very, yeah. very light. Yeah, yeah. They're even smaller than the, the Mexican girls. I mean, Mexican girls, they go for anywhere from 102 to, I mean, 126 maybe. I haven't really seen anything heavier than that that would make a difference. So uh, Japanese are even lighter than that, staying mostly in the 102 to maybe 115 range. So quite interesting. Yeah. 
Um, on Friday, March 15th, from San Juan, Argentina, Maria Cecilia Román scored a unanimous decision over Valeria Perez in a 10-rounder for the IBF 118-pound title. Scores were 98-92, 97-93, and 96-94. And that same night, from the Lacura Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Matchroom Boxing gave us on the zone. Katie Taylor scoring a ninth-round technical knockout over Brazilian Rose Volante to capture the WBO 135-pound title, adding that to her IBF and WBA titles, making her the unified world champion at 135 pounds. And to make her the undisputed unified world champion, she would have to face the aforementioned Delphine Pursuit. David, first your thoughts on that Katie Taylor-Rose Volante fight, and then we can talk about Taylor Pursuit. Uh, I thought that was her most impressive fight. Um, she was fighting a champion and somebody who was actually very good. Uh, it wasn't somebody coming up on a smaller weight. This was a true 135-pounder with skills, with power, and knew what she was doing. And Taylor just tore her apart the very first round. And it was all downhill for the uh, for Taylor. And she basically had her way. It was, it was too strong, too fast, too skilled. To everything, I, I agree with you. And uh, and again, obviously at a at a different level than Lourdes Juarez. And I'm not comparing her, but what I am going to compare is the precise punching that both of these fighters do. And Kay Taylor, I think, obviously at a higher level than Juarez, and only because she has much more experience. You know, Kay Taylor is in her mid 30s, Lourdes Juarez is in her early 30s, but Kay Taylor has a vast experience in the amateur winning medals in the Olympics, but it reminded me of both uh, how precise, how precision uh, they score their punches to the face, and that's what Kenny Taylor did to Rose Volante, and what I liked about Taylor in that fight, that she always stayed aggressive in the fight. She could have very well coasted to the win after the sixth or seventh round. I mean, it was evident that she had won every round, and she had won it convincingly, and she could have coasted but she just went after it every round and finally getting that TKO in the ninth round uh, over Rose Volante, who was brave, but like you mentioned, David, overmatched. And I do agree with you that this quite possibly has been her best performance. And I think from here on out, we're going to see these kind of fights for her. I think that the first fights that we saw with fighters coming up and maybe even having a uh, Cindy Serrano match, obviously, Cindy Serrano, a natural featherweight, fighting at 135, was kind of a way for Eddie Hearn to have Taylor, you know, get her bearings at, at the professional ranks, even though she was already a world champion, but she had less than 10 fights. I mean, she only has 11 fights right now as a professional. She already has three titles. Um, so I think that from here on out, they're going to look for big fights in her weight class. You know, obviously, Delphine Pursun and possibly that Amanda Serrano fight. Who knows if that is still in the cards? It's supposed to be. We don't know for sure. So when we come back from the interview, David, let's discuss a little bit more of the possibilities for Kaylee Taylor at 135 pounds and beyond that. But now joining us on the two-minute round hotline is none other than hot up-and-coming prospect Alicia the Bomb, Bomb Garner, and I'm going to patch her in right now. Hello, Alicia. Hey, hey. Hey, Alicia. Alicia, I'm sorry. How are you doing tonight? Yes. Good. How are you? 
Good, good. Thank you. My name is Felipe Leon. I'm going to pass the baton to my partner, David Avila. David, go right ahead. Alicia, welcome to our show, and thank you very much for taking the time. I know it's kind of late where you're at. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. And tell us about your trip uh, to Los Angeles, uh, if you can, if you can share uh, uh, why you were in Los Angeles recently. Yeah, um, I was out in L.A. I was actually out there for the Sean Porter fight. So that was um, an awesome fight to watch. And then I was also out there for um, work. So you guys will definitely see um, some more awesome, exciting news come summertime. So great trip out to California, though. Oh, yeah. It was good to see uh, you in the mix and at the Dignity uh, Sports Facility watching Sean Porter. How was it? Was it too cold? And it's an outdoor event for a lot of people <laughs> yeah. who don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely cold, but it was an awesome experience. I love watching um, boxing, just being surrounded by it, and just watching it live was even better. So it was a good time, but it was definitely cold. So, Lisa, for a lot of people that don't know, Lisa is fighting at 130, and uh, she's a, yeah. a top uh, prospect, and, and she actually fought the fighter who's the current world champion who just won this last weekend, the WBO uh, world title. Uh, how did that feel seeing this girl win the title and, and you coming very close to beating her? Yeah, you know, um, that's awesome. It's exciting for anyone to accomplish. So, um, you know, I congratulate her on that. So we're all trying to get it in this women's boxing. So uh, when we get that far, that's a it's a good feeling. So, so tell us how you got into boxing. What age did you start and What's your background? Did you do amateurs? Yeah, so um, I started boxing at eight. You know, I've been in the game for 17 years and um, big boxing family. I had 165 am- amateur fights. Um, had awesome just experience with different sparring partners throughout that. And um, it's just always been a good sport. Like, I loved it. I fell in love with it. And I knew, I think I I tried out for the Olympic trials it was and um, didn't make it in that, and so I decided to go pro after that, and it's been a really good decision. And what what, uh, what prompted you to become a professional? Because it's a lot different than amateurs. So what made you want yeah. to really turn pro? Um, I wanted to turn pro because of just my fighting style. I feel like I have more of a pro style, and I didn't really care for amateur so there's a lot of politics, even though there's politics in, you know, pro boxing. But pro boxing was just a bigger platform for me to um, be recognized with the talents that I have and what I can do for women's boxing. And um, that was the next step that I wanted to take in my career. So, yeah. Have you always bo- uh, lived in uh, Ohio? And is that where you did most of your boxing? Um, yeah, I've lived in, lived in Ohio and um, started out here, you know, went to um, – Florida also, so, but yeah, Florida is my 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 first stomping ground. Oh, okay. And who are some of the the, the people that you box as an amateur that other people might know? Um, that's a good question. There's a lot of fights to think about. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even tell you. But you know, really good fights. You know, you know, I went to a lot of um. National, well, not a lot of national talent 
tournaments, but went out to the National Powell out in California and um, won, a, won that tournament. It was supposed to be a, qualify, or a qualifier for the trials, but they ended up changing it, so I never made it, but I'm happy to be a pro, though. Well, so you got to fight in California, too, already. Yeah, yep, that's an amateur. Mm-hmm, an Oxnard. Oh, I, I might even have seen that that uh, tournament. I've gone to those okay. pals and box up a few times. Did you? What, what's been your goal? I mean, as, as soon as you became a professional, what did you do? What was the first step you did after uh, becoming a professional? Did you go after a promoter? Uh, did you go after a trainer, or did you stick with what, what you already had? Um, you know, I stuck with what I had. You know, changed um, my trainer. And, um, you know, had a good managing team already. So, um, yeah, it was it was set up how it was supposed to be. And what has been the biggest surprise for you as a professional? Biggest surprise? Um, I would say that uh, women's boxing, the, the rate that it's going, it's going at a good rate, it's being recognized, and, um, you know, women are finally being, you know, recognized and being on TV. And I think that's important. You know, we train just as hard as the men and we put on great fights. So I think they should definitely keep opening that window for a lot of other female boxers and um, giving us women a chance to be showcased. And you've already fought some pretty tough uh, customers. You fought Lydia Feliciano, Christy Simmons, and Christine uh, Leonardo, too. Uh, those are very tough uh, fights, and you've only had uh, about eight fights, seven fights. Uh, mm-hmm, yep, six and one. What, do you, would you call yourself a very competitive person? Very, very competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it seems um, I like you're, it. You're willing, I like it. You, you, Go it ahead. seems like you're willing to fight anybody. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, as an athlete, I'm a very competitive, you know, I think good fights for the fans is what we need for women's boxing. Again, I, I am a competitive athlete. So I'm definitely, I want to fight anybody. I think that's, that's just the athlete and the person that I am. What, what does your family think about you boxing? Oh, they love it. They're big supporters. My whole family is. Do they go out of your fights and do they yep, use mm-hmm. you at the gym? Yep, big fans. Yep. You know, my dad's right along with me when I was um, at a young age. He's the one that, you know, pushed me in it. And my brother and, you know, a good, good family, they all support me. What other sports did you uh, participate in? Say that again? Uh, did you participate in any other sports? Oh, yeah. Um, I started wrestling, actually, before I boxed. So I started at five. And then um, I also ran wow. track in high school, and um, we went to um, state our junior year. And so, you know, again, I've always been in sports and just being a competitive athlete. Wrestling definitely set set that up for boxing, so it really helped hand in hand, go hand in hand. I've heard that from a lot of people that wrestling kind of helps with the balance. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, definitely helps with balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've known a few that, that have wrestled and then went into boxing. Any problems with uh, 
with the footwork. Uh, it was it was mainly you know just the punching. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long are you still wrestling, or do you still wrestle uh, occasionally, or when did you? Um, yeah, no, um, no, I don't wrestle anymore. But it was something. It's something that I would like to um, kind of touch back on because you know maybe I might go to MMA. It was just might throw that out there. So. I was a three-time national women's champ in wrestling, so you just never know. Wow, that's pretty interesting. So, what what made you choose boxing over MMA, especially in light of all the women making so much more money in MMA at the moment? Uh, what made you choose boxing? I chose boxing because um, I love the sport. I fell in love with the sport. The science behind it, the art behind boxing, is awesome, and it's a one of kind, a one of a kind sport. It's not for everybody. You can't play boxing and just being in the ring and competing and being on a pro level is an awesome feeling. And boxing is just like my favorite sport, so I'm repping that. <laughs> yeah, I can believe it. She, especially since you fought so many tough girls already, it, it just has mm-hmm. to be something you really, really, really like to do those things. Yeah. And, and you were fighting briefly for for Vander Holtzio. How was that experience? Oh, it was a great experience. You know, meeting him um, was awesome. You know, he really connected with the fighters, gave us advice, really good mentor. So um, it, it's, it, it, he was really cool. So. Looking around at the, at the other fighters in your divisions and above, uh, who are some of the fight? Who are some of the, the the people that you would like to fight, maybe this year or next year? Is there anybody out there that you look at and say, "I would like to fight that person"? Um, you know, like you said, uh, the my division is packed, so really anybody. You know, I think just uh, any competitive fight would be good. Um, I just want to fight um, the best that say that they're best and go from there. So we're working on that. We got my next fight coming up May 10th in Philly, so um, this is going to be my fight uh, for the new year, and um, my team's doing a really good job at um, moving me. So when that time comes, we'll make those big fights. Who are you fighting for right now? Is there any promotion company that you're signed to? Um, no, not currently. So Philadelphia, is, is that? Uh, have you ever fought there before? Yeah, I fought in Philly. Mm-hmm. So what's That's where I fought on like... Lydia. Yeah, that was last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, do do you find there's a difference in some of the venues you fought in terms of uh, fans' expertise or, or their expectations? Um, I would say, yeah. I think that anywhere you go, different states have different things. So the venues... Um, yeah, I think there's a difference, yeah, for sure. What about fighting where you're at now in Ohio? Is boxing big there, or, is, or what, how would you rate it compared to a place like Philadelphia? Um, I definitely say it's on the lower end for sure. I feel like, you know, Philly is also a good crowd. You got a lot of um, Danny Garcia, Kevin Farmer, like those fighters coming from Philly. So, um, again, I mean, Ohio's still working on that, but. Yeah, we're all growing. 
when you um you're fighting at super featherweight, are you fighting to stay there or do you feel you should move up or down? What what's a good weight for you? Could you say that one more time? What what's a what's your most comfortable weight to fight at? Shoot, 126, 130, 35, 47. I'm comfortable at all weights. Oh, okay. Career, yeah. So for any promoters listening right now, you just heard it. She'll fight anywhere from 126 to 147. That's a lot of categories. Right, right but, you know, super featherweight's my weight class, so so that's the one I'm, I'm focused on. That's just talking. I like to be comfortable at those weights, but 130 is definitely my division. Have you ever thought about fighting overseas in Europe or, or Asia? Yeah, definitely. If we get the, um, if that ever comes about, yeah, definitely. Again, women's boxing is um, growing. And, you know, over overseas, it's really popular, I feel like, more for women than it is in the U.S. So I think that would be a great experience. Yeah, that that is kind of strange that uh, even though we have so many good boxers here, it's it's not as accepted as it is in other countries like a Japan or Mexico or Germany. Even France is getting much more boxing than uh, the U.S. in terms of of uh, exposure. But uh, how does it make you feel to see that there's more exposure in these other countries than than the United States? Um, I just feel like that they're showing a good example on what it should be like and. Um... We should follow behind pretty much. Who, I mean, that's of, simple, who, black and white. Who are some of the fighters that you, that you not idolize, but, but you kind of admire a female fighter? Um, that I kind of admire. I always get stuck on this question because I can look at it two different <laughs> ways. But I would say just all the women, you know. Um, we're just all, again, fighting for that um, – that exposure and being put out there to be taken serious. So I can say all women, we're all doing the same thing, and I'm all for that. Well, one thing I, I notice is you're very technical. I mean, most of your fighting abilities are very polished. Uh, you're a very technical fighter. Uh, who, who taught you all these skills? Man, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, starting at age eight, again, um, Man, it just comes with the sport. I, I feel like everybody that I've been with, anybody that I've met, I've always been able to grab something from that and add it to my type of style and, um, you know, work around on that now with uh, my trainer, Sugar Hill. We're definitely working on being more technical and just making it look amazing to watch. You know, boxing, again, is um, an art, and um, I want to look good doing it. So definitely working on that. Let me um, pass you on to Felipe. I'm sure he has some questions to ask you, if you mind. Thank you, David. Yes, thank you, David. Alicia, you know, I'm going to piggyback on some of these uh, questions that David did for you, uh, made of you or with you or of you. Now, it looks like Evander Holyfield's promotional uh, outfit folded, so that basically makes you a a free agent, correct? Yes. 
Was there any explanation what happened? Did they call you and tell you, hey, we're pretty much done? Or how did you find out that that's what's, what was happening? Um, you know, I don't really deal with that on that end. That's my manager's position. So, you know, we all communicated and everything was um, said what was said. So that, I leave that for my manager. I don't really get involved. I just I, I do the training and the fighting. Uh, but, but when he called you, were you surprised that when your manager called you and told you that you didn't have a promoter anymore, was, was that a surprising phone call? Um, no. You know, it is what it is. I can't do nothing. I mean, it is what it is, so we're just moving forward from here on out. Now, you know, in this day of age, not like in years past, in male or female boxing, the undefeated record has a lot of clout, or people put a lot of clout on it. Unfortunately, you're not undefeated anymore, but you lost to a now, and in a split decision, to a now world champion, Christina Linazartu, who is now um, a WBO world champion. Having that loss, does that kind of take away some of the pressure that you might have felt of being undefeated? Um, yeah, I mean, you could look at it like that. For me, it was just a, a learning experience. You know, like you said, the undefeated record is a clout thing. And for me, as an athlete and as a, a boxer, you you learn more from a loss. And I took all that and, you know, moved forward with it. So I can only say um, it happened and I you grow from it. So what was the, the biggest thing that you learned from it? Uh, you know, I learned a lot of things. I mean, um, just I learned a lot of things, really. I mean, that's just in in and outside the ring as far as um, preparation and just what I could do better, you know, how I could do this and that. You know, you go back and you analyze all that stuff. So it's a lot of things. So you, I mean, see, I mean, the, you, see, those, you see those changes in, you know, the next fight and, mm-hmm. you know, how that person performs, definitely. Now, I've been around some so that, undefeated – go ahead. No, go ahead. I've been around some fighters that lost their their oath, some early, some late, and um, and they say exactly the same thing, which is something universal, I think, with fighters, that you have – got to learn something from from that loss. But the fact that, that Christina Linazardu is now a world champion, does that take away a little bit of the sting from the loss? the fact that she's a world champion, so you didn't lose to just anybody, but you lost to a world champion in a, and in a split decision. I mean, it wasn't a unanimous decision or you were stopped or anything like that. Does that take away a little bit of the sting? Um, no, no, I don't think so. Now, you mentioned to David that <clears throat> that you like to look good and you're technical. And what what is one thing that – what error do you commit inside the ring – that disappoints you when you do it? Like, let's say you, you've been working on something and then you end up doing it anyway in a fight and then you catch yourself doing it. What's that one error that disappoints you inside the ring? I'm not I'm not really um, understanding your question. You know, there's certain things. All fighters have things that they work on inside the, in their training camp that to try to correct and make better for when they fight. And then sometimes they do correct it and sometimes they don't. Is there one thing that you do that you tend to do and then it disappoints you that you know you're doing it again even though you worked on it? Um, no. You know, at the, at the end of the day, we have I have my style, so we're just working on bettering everything. So, 
I can't necessarily say that. Okay. Um, last question. You know, the big fight's coming up, probably what, the biggest fight of the uh, uh, of the year for female boxing, which is Clarissa Shields against Christina Hammer. Who do you have in that fight? Um, you know, I'm definitely going for my girl, Clarissa Shields. Um, you know, she's ready to make – she's been making statements, and this is just going to be another statement for her and for women's boxing. Go. Definitely Clarissa. Okay. David, any thoughts? Any other questions? No, Alicia, but uh, please let us know when you're – fighting again? I know you told us that you're going to be fighting pretty soon in May, and uh, what, do you know your opponent? No, it's to be announced. Oh, okay. Well, well hopefully we find out uh, before, and, uh, and uh, actually we'd like to do we, I write for the prize fighters, as does Felipe de Leon, uh, Leon. and um, if you let us know, we'd, we'd like to do a story for your next fight to let people know uh, more boxing. Okay. Definitely. So, okay, Alicia. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your call and taking the time. And have a, a good evening. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Have a great night. And there you have it, folks. Uh, six and one, Alicia Baumgarter, who campaigns at 135, 130 pounds, but she said that she feels comfortable at 130 pounds. She'll be fighting May 10th at the Fame 2300 Arena in Philadelphia. And we'll be hearing more about her in the coming months. David. Uh, yes, yes. I saw her fight against uh, Christina Leonardo too, and um, it was a very tight uh, struggle. Uh, it was back and forth uh, pretty uh, all the way to the end. It was a very close struggle. Um, I think it was on YouTube or I forget what I thought. I think it maybe it was streamed. Mm-hmm. Maybe on Facebook. Fight. Yeah. So we'll see uh, when that fight comes closer. Uh, we'll hopefully either have her back on or uh, get together with her and do some kind of story on the prizefighters.com. Now, going back to the fight results, David, um, Katie Taylor, you mentioned the Fib Pursuit is the real deal. How do you see that fight developing? You know, it's pretty interesting uh, uh, because I had never really seen Delphine Pursun fight. There's not very much footage of her anywhere. Uh, so for me to see her actually fight Melissa St. Bell, who, I, who I've seen many, many, many times and known for years, uh, it was really uh, fascinating to watch her. And uh, Melissa is very good. And Delphine is a very aggressive uh, fighter. She can, she's a boxer puncher, and she's very tall, mm. and not extremely tall, but she's. T- I think she's taller than uh, Katie Taylor, and very aggressive. That's going to be a, an interesting fight, because uh, I think Katie has a little speed advantage over her, but uh, Delphine has long arms, and I think that helps her a lot. Do you think that's the- anybody? Do you think that would be her best tool against Katie Taylor, the uh, the reach advantage that she might have? Absolutely. I think that's what she has for her. But uh, Katie is such a slick fighter. She she has uh, she she has very good uh, side-to-side movements. Um, she could possibly, you know, catch her. Catch her the way she caught uh, uh, the Brazilian girl. 
Yeah, you know, one thing one thing that was interesting on the Katie Taylor fight is that the commentators mentioned, actually revealed how much Rose Volante got for the fight, which was $150,000, which in female boxing terms is a really good purse. I mean, that's in the staggering. United States, yeah, and that's the opponent. So imagine how much Katie Taylor's getting. I mean, imagine Katie Taylor got... 175, 200, maybe even 250. And exactly. in, in the United States, you know, those are huge purses. I mean, the only other fighter that may be making that amount of money in the United States is Clarissa Shields and Cecilia Breakhouse. So, and Cecilia Breakhouse exactly. is not a, a U.S. fighter. She's from Norway, but she's been fighting here in the United States. And she makes probably more than that in in Norway. And in the United States, when she fought on HBO, she might have made that amount, if not more. But uh, it's it's quite staggering, like you said, David. That's a great word for it. Um, so the question here, I mean, we know that Pursun has the TV rights. She has a TV deal in Belgium. But is 150000 or even one seventy five or 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 even 200000 enough money to entice her to fight in the United States or in the, in Ireland, who knows where they would make, where, where, where do you think this fight makes sense? David, New York? Uh, yeah, I think it should be in neutral territory. I think it should be the United States, anywhere in the United States, not necessarily New York, but I think New York would sell because now they know Irish. who Katie Taylor is. And they have that Irish population. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of Irish Boston. Uh, people, Boston, the huge Boston, um, yeah. Where it wouldn't be really neutral because everybody will be there for Katie Taylor. Um, <laughs> California, <laughs> and that'd be great for us. Even Vegas. Um, yeah. But I mean, if anybody could do it, it's the zone. I mean, they just raised the prices and they have the deep pockets. I mean, they showed it with Canelo. They showed it with Gennady. Gennady. They showed it with the offer they made to Deontay Wilder. So, a hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand might be a drop in the bucket. For um for the zone to put this type fight together with Katie Taylor who would be an undisputed undefe- uh, undefeated undisputed unified world champion at 135 pounds. If she beats her, it could go the yeah. other way. It could be Delphine grabbing all the belts. True. Now I wonder if Delphine pursued. I mean, I'm sure she has a Belgian promoter, and if Eddie Hearn, I'm sure he's very 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 smart man he would get options on Pursun just in case she beat Taylor and, and a rematch yeah. cost, I would imagine, as well. Yeah, it's it's just one of those matches that if, if, they, if they make it right behind Clarice, Clarissa Shields and Christina Hammer, it'll just bump up uh, female boxing to where it can be. Just two mega fights back-to-back like that. That's what the sport needs. Instead of uh, these mismatches, they show... Uh, too many times in television and and streaming, uh, they need these kind of competitive fights just to let the public know how good the females are. We'll see. We'll see if uh, if if they. Oh, here's my question. I had a question. Do you think after the K Taylor performance against Rosalante, we're closer or farther away from that Amanda Serrano fight? Yeah. Ah, uh, you know it's funny, but. Uh, I think we we should be closer. Uh, I know that that's a great fight right there. I 
I like Amanda's style. Amanda's quick. She's got everything to compete I think it's a great with uh, Katie Taylor. Yeah, I think um, you give two hundred thousand to both of them. That's that's a great fight. But it's up to the promoters are or more so not even the promoters the the actual uh, uh, media outlet. They got to mm-hmm. be willing to put that money up, and they can get we can get this fight. Well, I think it would make more sense if Katie Taylor actually fights Delphine Pursuit first, and then yeah, and then it would be a much bigger fight against Amanda Serrano because then the winner of that fight can will probably be catapulted to the top spot at pound profound. You know, not that Absolutely. Cecilia Breakhouse hasn't, not that Cecilia Breakhouse has done, has not done enough. I mean, she's undefeated. She's un, she's where Katie Taylor wants to be. But I think the opposition, starting with perhaps Rose Valante or perhaps Cindy Serrano, has been a higher, a higher, uh, you know, a higher level than what we've seen from Cecilia Breakhouse in the last four or five or six years. I mean, Cecilia Breakhouse hasn't really faced a challenging fight, you know, to the to the level of Rose Valante or or Delphine Pursuit or Amanda Serrano. Well, you know, there's there's somebody out there I think that could fight both, and and it's funny I always bring this up, but Layla McCarter could fight either Cecilia Breakus or Katie Taylor because she's really a 135 pounder. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know, I mean, that, maybe that's a fight that we'll see in the future as well. That's a that would be the true test because, in my opinion, there's nobody more skillful. I'm not talking about athletic speed or power. Just pure skills. I think Layla McCarter is still a more skillful fighter than than anybody out there. But but is two hundred thousand enough for Layla McCarter? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll see because you know, I mean, she was. Uh, the rumor is that she was asking a lot, a lot, a lot of money to fight Cecilia Breakhouse. Uh, no, she wasn't asking that as much as you think. Hmm. Okay, so moving on to Saturday, May the March 16th, March 16th in Montreal, Canada. Clint Cavell scored unanimous decision over Soledad Macedo in an eight-rounder at light flyweight. Scores there were 80-72 three times. And in Spain, Alem Mechaled scored unanimous decision over Dalina Ramos for the interim WBC 130-pound title. Scores there were 97-94 and 97-93 two times. On Friday, March 22nd in Belgium, Femke Herman, surprisingly, Davis suffered her second loss in a row, dropping a majority decision to Eileen Sederus in a 10-rounder for the vacant IBF 168-pound title. This is a title that Clarissa Shields left vacant. Femke Herman went after it, and she ended up losing a majority decision, David. So her second loss in a row for Herman um, and, and, you know, her third, second or third or even, uh, I think her third of world title opportunity, she ends up coming up a little bit short. On Saturday, March 23rd, like, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I would like to see um, uh, this new uh, Alina Cedrus fight uh, uh, Franchon Cruz, maybe in mm-hmm. a unification bout. That would be interesting. That would be good. Where is Alina uh, Cedrus from? Uh, who's that again? Elise said they was the one that won. Uh, uh, I I think she's uh, 
You know what? I'm not quite sure. She's from Sweden. I she was from old. Belgium. Oh, Sweden? She's, okay. Yeah, Sweden. 6-0, 34 years old, uh, three knockouts. She hadn't really fought anybody of a name or of a record before Femke Herman. She had fought Zanya Ostojik in her pro debut, one and one. Esther Connect. All, all, well, she fought in, in, in Sweden her first fight. Then she fought in Spain four times and now in Belgium. Now she's a world champion, IBF super middleweight champion. So we'll see. Uh, 34 years old, a little bit long in the tooth. So maybe she could make a, a big money fight with uh, Franchon Cruz, which we haven't seen since she beat Manicela Cornejo months ago. So who knows what's going on with Franchon as well. Um, on Saturday, March 23rd from Germany, Emma Kozin, who's one that I want to see stateside, won a unanimous decision on Rosanna Turunen, still undefeated, 10 rounds, 168 pounds, WIBA and vacant WBF titles. In Nairobi, Kenya, Fatuma Zarika defended her WBC 122-pound title against former Bantamweight champion Canton Fury with unanimous decision scores weren't released. And in Ciudad Juarez, Diana Fernandez scored a unanimous decision over Candy Sandoval in a 10-rounder for the WBC International 115-pound title. Scores there were 98-91 two times. And 97-92, that was a good fight, David. I watched it. Sandoval, power, going forward, aggressive, Fernandez using her her uh, her um, her legs and her boxing ability, dropped Sandoval in the first round with a right-in-the-button right hand, and then was able to outbox her for the rest of the of the fight. Fernandez put out the challenge. She's very uh, – uh, she likes to talk a little bit. She talked a lot when she fought Lourdes Juarez, and now she's saying that she either wants to fight for the 115-pound title, which Lupita Martinez owns, or – go up to 118 pounds and fight Mariana Juarez at Bantamweight for the WBC title. Uh, I think she could give a good fight. I don't know if she'll beat Mariana Juarez. I think she has a better chance against Lupita uh, Guadalupe Martinez. Um, but she does good things in the ring. I mean, she's she's gotten better from those losses against Pequeña Lulu. And, you know, she boxes well. She has a good right hand. She has a good jab. She's pretty quick. So we'll see. We'll see if she gets a, a shot at Mariana Juarez. Although I do believe that Mariana Juarez is looking for bigger fish to fry, like Fatuma Sarika at 122 pounds, or that fight against um, Jackie Nava, who we have some news about in our, in our oh, fight okay. chatter coming up. Um, now, um, in London, I don't know if you saw this fight. This was. Uh, Broadcast on the zone on the undercard of that Charlie Edwards fight. Shannon Courtney did her pro debut against Danielle Stoyanov in a four-rounder, 160 pounds. Pretty entertaining. She's a pro debuter. Looks like she's an amateur standout from England. Uh, you know, aggressive, still amateurish in her pro debut. But, but you know, another name to the uh, to throw in the hat at 160 pounds. And in the Bourbon Hall in Louisville, Kentucky, Rosalinda Rodriguez scored a unanimous decision over Shelly Barnett, an A-rounder to capture the WIBA 118-pound title. And lastly, Sunday, March 24th, in Nancy's Greens, the aforementioned Christina Linazardo, who had defeated our guest, Alicia Baumgartner, um, some months ago, scored a six-round TKO over Candy Wyatt to score the vacant WBO 140-pound title. Wyatt was down three times in the sixth round, and Linazardo becomes the first woman world champion in history, I, I I I might even think she might be the first Greek 
world champion ever. Can you think of a male Greek world champion, David, off the top of your head? Uh, Mighty Mike Arnatuis. Was I don't he know from if he Greece? was a world champion. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He wasn't a world champion. But he's no, he Greek-born? He, he was fought. born in Greece? He fought. Yeah, yeah, and I think he fought for the champion. Mm. championship, but I don't know if he won or not. Yeah, I can't think of it. I'm going to have to research that and see if there's a male Greek world champion. Well, that's the end of our fight yeah. results. Let's move on quickly to our fight shatter chatter. And the Mexican coming out of me, David, with the chatter, with the chatter, fight chatter. <laughs> and topping off the list, Alicia Ashley retired, David. She hadn't fought in quite a while, but she made it official. I follow her on, on social media. It looks like she's working mm. in China as a boxing trainer. And wow. she's from Jamaica. She's originally from Jamaica. She lived in New York throughout her boxing career. And now she looks like she's living out in in China, she ended up her career. This is a, a woman who is, I'll tell you exactly, she's uh, in her 50s, but I'll tell you exactly how old she is right now. Not that it makes a big sense, but it does bring it. She ended up being the oldest world champion in history, even older than uh, than uh, Bernard Hopkins, because she actually wow. won a title after that. She's 52 years old. She has not seen action since... Um, March of last year, where she lost to Dina Dorsland, she ends up her career with 24 wins, 12 losses, one draw, four knockouts. Not a heavy hitter, but very good boxer, uh, very good yeah. um, uh, boxing skills, tall, rangy. I seen her fight here in Tijuana one time. It was, it was she was pretty impressive. She had some losses sure. early in her career. She lost to Laura Serrano back in. She started her career in '99, David. She lost to Laura Serrano the great veteran Mexican fighter in 2000. Um, I saw her fight in Vegas one, uh, once and also saw her fight against our uh, ex-co-host, uh, Atlanta Baby Doll Reed. Oh, wow. Did she, who, let's see who won that. Who, who won that fight? She did? Oh, Ashley won. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was very she, impressive. She, very impressive. She, she lost to Chevelle Halback back in 2002. She actually beat Marcela Acuna, the Argentinian, twice. And back to back in Argentina, so that's not an easy that's feat. Impressive. She won the first. She won the first time via split decision, so she knows she won the fight. And then the second time, David, in 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 a return fight, like uh, what, like seven months later, she beat her in a unanimous decision in Argentina. So that she definitely won. Um, impressive. She did beat Alina Reed, our uh, ex co-host. She beat her in two thousand five. In, uh, I think that in, was a world uh, title fight, too. In Laughlin, Nevada. Uh, she beat Bloody Alicia fight. Graff. Yeah. She beat Alicia Graff. And then she fought Acuna again in 2009 and ended up losing a majority decision, which could be hotly contested in Buenos Aires at the world-famous Estadio Luna Park. That was for the WBC <laughs> Super Bantamweight champion. Uh, she beat Jackie Trevino. She beat Crystal Hoy. She beat Gentle Martinez. She beat Seni Sotomayor. That's the fight that I saw here in Tijuana. She stopped her. She lost to, you know, she lost the majority decision to Jackie Nava back in 2014. A lot of people thought that she won that fight in Mexico City. Um, she lost to Fatuma Sarika for the Super Bantamweight title back in 2016, split decision. 
and then uh, she ended up losing to Dina Torsland in her last fight. And uh, she, even though she hadn't fought since March of last year, she made her retirement official this past week. So we wish Alicia Ashley all the best of luck in her, uh, in her uh, um, future endeavors. Now, I don't know if you heard about this, David, but an IBF 150-pound title fight was canceled in uh, Canada uh, after a medical examination found that Lisa Tejada of the Dominican Republic is the one eye. She was to face Canadian Eva DeCary, who is the champion at IBF 150-pound title. And one thing that I read about it is that Tejada was insisting to wear her sunglasses all the time, like at the press conference, at the face-off. Everywhere you looked at her, she was wearing sunglasses. And then, obviously, they had to do an eye exam for a professional boxing match every even the states in the United States that require the least amount of of exams, like Arizona, require yeah. an eye exam. And if she was blind in one eye legally or legally or not, but she's so if her vision is not close to 2020, I don't know how she was going to try to get away with it if she couldn't even go around without taking off her sunglasses. You know. <laughs> so mm. I mean, she got a free trip to Canada. And and she made it all the way out there, but she ended up not fighting, and the title match was canceled. So uh, it's kind of making the rounds in, in female boxing this story. Now, one other thing that I see, David, I don't know if you've seen it, but it looks like Marlene Esparza, who also became a mother, like Kika Chavez, who we mentioned earlier in the show, looks like she's getting ready to come back in uh, in April. Uh, yes, I, I've heard that. I was talking to uh, Golden Boy Promotions, and they're trying to uh, – they say she's getting ready, and um, she sh- they're going to announce a, an opponent pretty soon. I saw a name. I forgot who it was, though. But I did see a name. It wasn't anybody impressive or anybody that we would expect her not to beat. But I did see a name. I just I, Honestly, I don't remember who, who it was that they had mentioned that she might be facing. Now, another fighter that is coming back. Obviously, she came back some time ago and she's looking to fight. She hasn't fought this year so far, but it is Jackie Nava who it looks like will be making, will be doing a rematch against none other than Marcela Acuña. They fought back wow. in 2009. They actually fought three times, I believe. They fought in a let me see here. No, they only fought once before which was in Argentina in 2009 and Acuna won unanimous decision for the WBC Super Bantamweight title. And now 10 years later, it looks like they're going to be facing each other again, but this time in a city in Mexico. Wow, that's going to be an impressive fight. Yeah, I mean, Jackie Nava is 38 years old. Obviously, the fight that she's been going after. Yeah, two legends. The fight that she's been going after is the one against Bobby Juarez, but... I mean, we thought we had it last fall after they fought on the same card in August, and they even had a press conference to announce it, and all of a sudden it fell through. Barbie has come up publicly and said that she wants it. Jack Ginawa has said that she wants it. But it looks like the promoters can't come to an agreement to make it happen. So if she can't get Barbie Juarez, I guess she's going after the next best thing, which is Marcela Acuña. And Marcela Cunha, she's not a young spring chicken. She's in her, uh, she's actually older than Jackie. She's 42 years old. Yes. 
So uh, Marcela with the 49 wins, seven losses, one draw. And Jackie only has four losses, one of them being to Acuna. Her losses have come to Blanca, Bianca Luna when she was only like four, three and oh. Then she lost to brutal knockout to Alejandra La Locomotora Oliveras. In 2006, she was knocked out here in uh, in Tijuana. Brutal, brutal knockout. You can find it on YouTube. And then in 2009, she fought La Tigre Acuña in, in Argentina and lost her fight. And then her last fight, lost, her last loss was in 2011 against Anima Aria Torres. And then since then, Jackie Nava has not tasted defeat. So what does it do for female boxing or boxing in general? Not much, David. There's two fighters facing each other 10 years later. But it's two legends facing each other, even though they're long in the tooth, and it just keeps at least Jackie Nava busy to see if if we could get that Barbie Juarez fight, one, and two, maybe gets Acuna a good paycheck, because Acuna, it's a world, she's a world champion right now. She ended up losing to yeah. Daniela Bermudez, but, she, but Bermudez, mm-hmm. after the win, vacated the title, and Acuna won it back, so she's still a world champion, so We'll see what happens there, and if the fight ends up getting made. So now, yeah. anything to add there to our fight chatter, David? Any any news that you might have from the from your uh, outs and abouts in in the LA area, or anything else you might have? <laughs> uh, nothing much. Uh, well, the only thing is that there there was going to be a, a, a meeting oh. forum by the WBC regarding uh, female boxing, and uh, I can I'll be gathering some info and. We can share that in the next uh, episode that we have. Yes, and that'd be interesting. Let's see what they're going to discuss. I see. I did see the announcement that they're they're uh, trying to gather some people tomorrow at the WBC LA office, and they really didn't really uh, post what they were going to discuss as far as female boxing. I'm sure it's going to come up the you know the two minute rounds which the WBC is the big supporter of they are big supporters of two minute rounds David Avila is a big supporter of the three minute round so let's see uh, mm-hmm. how that conversation goes uh the WBC is a big supporter of the 12 round I mean 10 rounds for a world championships for women you know some people say they should be 12 rounds um the weight you know it looks like the WBC is trying to figure out a way to implement a clean boxing program for female boxers. To me, um, I mean, we, we last show, I think it was the last show we discussed a, a conversation, a, a questions, a couple of questions that we were able to plant Mauricio Suleiman with in a, uh, in a teleconference that he had. And he answered the question that I had regarding the 102 pound title with uh, the champion Fabina Bitiki, as well as it seems like a champ. What what was that? A ch- what you, a, an interim champion who is Luisa uh, Bang champion Big, in recess. A champion in recess. Oh my God! It was it was pretty impressive the political answer that he gave us. And um, and then the one thing, the other question that I might have is uh, you know, the whole thing that they. The, the pound the pound of uh, plus or minus a pound that supposedly female fighters have 
um, leverage in at official weigh-ins because they might be retaining water, water because of their menstrual cycle. But we've had some world champions here before on the show, and we've asked them about that, if they were familiar with that rule, WBC rule. We've had WBC champions here, and we asked them about it, and they mentioned that no, that it was never – they never made. They were never made aware of that rule before their weigh-in, and that they're professionals. And if the weight limit is 168, they're gonna make 168. Um, but according to the WBC, and I haven't found it, and I've looked for it, is some kind of rule in their website that states that females have a pound leverage because of their menstrual cycle. So I don't know if that's gonna be discussed tomorrow at the meeting as well. So with that said, let's see what comes out from that meeting. David's going to have a full report on our next show, which is scheduled for April 11th, which is a Thursday. Every other Thursday here on the Two Minute Round, your hooks and jazz look at the female fight world. Now let's move on to the upcoming calendar, David, which is not as extensive as what we just had. But on Saturday, March 30th, from Buenos Aires, Argentina, one of my favorite fighters, and I think she's a, I don't know if she's an up-and-coming star because she is 29 years old and she's been fighting for quite a while. She's faced a lot of fighters. She came to Mexico and she beat Mariana Juarez at 118 pounds. She went up to 122 and she beat um, Marcela La Tigresa Cunha. She's gone down to a 108 earlier in her career and she was beaten by Jessica Tutibop, but she did fight her. So she's fought anywhere from 108 to 122 during her professional career. She's one of three sisters who are all professional ranks, two of them are world champions, but she is Daniela Bonita Bermudez, who will be defending her WBO 118-pound title against Irma Sanchez in a scheduled 10-rounder this Saturday night from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Interesting. I'm sure she's fought in Buenos Aires before, but she's from Santa Fe, Argentina, and she tends to fight there, but now they're bringing her to the capital for this fight in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Now, in Auckland, New Zealand, Giovanna Perez will be, score, uh, will be fighting Lani Daniels for an attend rounder. Listen to this, David. For the vacant WBO 175-pound title. So it's a new title, not seen regularly in female boxing. It's a semi-heavyweight mm-hmm. or light heavyweight world title. Usually you see... Female boxers go from 168, jump all the way to heavyweight, but now WBO putting this 175-pound title. What do you think about that? That's interesting. That's interesting that nobody's done it before. Yeah, <clears throat> that's one thing that's interesting. Another thing is that WBO, the only sanctioning body of the major four, IBF, WBO, WBA, WBC, that doesn't have female rankings, but here they do have a WBO 175-pound title. So take that how you may. Now, also, go ahead. I, I think we should invite uh, the president, uh, uh, Paco, to Ooh. the show one day. Ooh, if you could get him, I'll be here. <laughs> now we got, now I, let's try it. I mean, I, I think... Uh, I think I just spoken to him on the phone one time, but we'll see. We'll see if we can try to get him. He is in Puerto Rico. Uh, we'll see if we can try to get him on the show and ask him all these questions before he possibly hangs up on us. But uh, from the Echo Arena, uh, Liverpool on Saturday in the UK, I don't know if this is going to be broadcast in the zone. I know the heavyweight, I mean, I know the main event is going to be broadcast in the zone. So we'll see if mm-hmm. they actually broadcast this fight. 
But Natasha Jones will be taking on Fariche Mishari in a six-rounder at 135 pounds. And on Saturday, April 6th, from the Czech Republic, Fabiana Vitiki, the full-fledged Adamweight champion, will be defending against Maria Soledad Vargas in a 10-rounder. And in Germany, Tina Ruprecht will be defending her WBC 105 pounds there against Maricela Quintero, another Mexican. So two Mexicans fighting in Europe on Saturday, April 6th for world titles. And you know what happened in Italy some weeks ago. So you can't um, put all your money on these European fighters against Mexicans. Mexicans bring it. And this Maricela Quintero, she's not a walk in the park for anybody. So uh, I think I'm expecting a pretty good fight there. Uh, the same night, on Saturday, April 6th, from the, in Hermosillo, Sonora, her hometown, it's going to be on the Azteca Channel. Sulem Urbina will be taking Araceli Palacios in a six-rounder, a 112-pound title. I mean, 112 pounds is not a title. It's a six-rounder. And I like, I like the fact that Urbina is getting right back in it. She fought yeah. last month, I think last month, on the zone here in Tijuana. Pretty good fight against a recognized name in Judith Rodriguez. Now, it wasn't the best version we've seen of Judith Rodriguez, but it was the first somewhat recognizable name in Urbina's ledger. And now she's taking out Aceli Palacios, who is another fighter who is quite experienced, more experienced in the pro ranks than, than Sulem. Sulem has a, quite an extensive amateur experience, but Palacios is a bit more experienced as a professional. Uh, Sulem is 9-0 with one knockout. Lives, fights out of Phoenix, Arizona, but her hometown is Hermosillo, Sonora. And Araceli Palacios is 10-10 and 10 with two knockouts, but she's faced uh, a lot uh, more recognized opposition than Urbina. Uh, she beat Yulihan Yuli Alejandra Luna Avila and won, beat her and then lost to her. And then she's also faced Candy Sandoval, who just fought um, just fought the, the uh, Diana Fernandez. She's also fought um, Isabel Millan. She's fought Sinesa Estrada. She's fought Marlene Esparza. She's fought Paola, Paola Estrada. Uh, she fought Maria Salinas, former uh, title challenger. So she has some experience. She's fought uh, the other Pop recognizable Nova. names. Yeah, she's fought the other recognizable names in the division, which is Marlene Esparza and Sinesa Estrada and, Eva, and even Paola Estrada, who uh, was an up-and-coming fighter out of California, but it looks like she's not fighting anymore. So we'll see what Urbina can do against her in her hometown of Hermosillo, Sonora, on Saturday, April 6th. And lastly, on Wednesday, April 10th, from the Sony Hall in New York, Bella Entertainment gives us Alicia Napoleon facing Eva Bajic in an eight-rounder at 154 pounds, David. Now Alicia is not a world it's not a title fight, although I do believe she's still a world champion, but I think she's a world champion at hundred and sixty eight pounds and this fight is being uh scheduled at hundred and fifty four. Oh that's interesting. Uh, interesting. yeah, I mean according to Boxrec, she's still the WBA super middleweight champion. So we'll see what happens here. Thirty three years old, ten and one five knockouts for Alicia Napoleon, and she is coming back on Wednesday, April 30th, I mean, sorry, April 10th, from the Sony Hall in uh, New York City. So we'll see what happens. She's going to stay at 154. She's going to relinquish her WBA title. What's going to happen? We don't know, but we will find out that night, and then we'll be discussing it on 
April 11th. Other than that, David, anything else from you? No, that should do it for me. All right. Well, with that said, this is the two-minute round. Your hooks and jabs look at the female fight world. We will be back on April 11th, Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. And with that, we bid you good night. Everybody have a good weekend.